0: Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast,
1: where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature.
0: Coming to you from the high Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Stobel and Isaac Hill. Okay, so today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we have Sarah Mastros again, and she's just put out this new book, The Sorcery of Solomon so gorgeous. It's a Thank guide you. to the 44 planetary pentacles of the magician king. So this is a book about pentacles. Solomonic it pentacles. Is.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I know everybody's been commenting on how gorgeous the cover is. I just want to give a shout out to Catherine Sky Peck, the creative director at Wiser, who made the cover and all the interior illustrations and did the layout. And like, you know, it's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, my book is awesome. But like the parts that she did are amazing. (laughs) I'm I'm really, it's so pretty. It's like, I mean, honestly, I feel like I've been really lucky with covers. I don't know if people like listening know this, but like as an author, I don't really have any say in the cover at all. Right. I mean, I guess if I pitched a fit, I could complain. But like, they just showed me a cover. Like, and I haven't, I'm not involved in the discussions about what should be on the cover, but so far I've been very happy with all my book covers.
1: What about the picture of Solomon though? Did you choose that? Like, were you like- I didn't
2: choose the one on the cover. I chose, there's one in like the front piece. Like, so when you open the book, there's like a couple of pages of like, people saying it's awesome. And then this one. So this is actually my favorite icon. I actually talk about it in the book. And I'll show you this is like the icon so one of the things in the book is we do like an icon practice right which is modeled on a Greek Orthodox icon practice and this is I guess a Russian Orthodox icon actually but I particularly like that one um I really here all keep holding it while I talk about it people so some things I really like about this icon I like this is the holy temple here you know Solomon built the temple Mm -hmm. um this is I believe old church Slavonic which I do not read but in Greek icons of a similar like style I guess iconography I suppose is the word right (laughs) it talks about how he has hewn out the pillars of wisdom Right, which is a quote, a Bible quote, which it's embarrassing that I don't know the exact quote. But I also really like I just like his eyes in this one. Like he just looks so yeah. And I also like that he's young. Like I feel like a lot of times when you see pictures of King Solomon, you know, King Solomon came to the throne really young. And then he has like this really long reign with lots of stories in it. But I feel like the pictures of him when we see them, they're usually like that old man wise king, which I also like but I really like the like upstart young magician like clever one and so that's why I like that icon in particular so that's actually I requested that view on the cover but we couldn't find a high enough resolution image I think Mm -hmm. I I really again I have I don't know how they decide what goes on the cover but she did a great job I think it's super cool
1: yeah she really did it's beautiful so um, before we dive into talking about the book a little bit more and about Solomon himself a little bit more, how have you been? It's been like a year or so since you've been on the show, probably more than a year, actually. What's what's like a day in the life like for you these days?
2: Oh, you know, um, I I really can't complain. Like, I feel like I have the best job in the world. I like Nerd out about witchcraft and inexplicably that is a career. Like truthfully, yeah, I don't, I was definitely told this was not a real job when I was <laughs> it turns yeah. out it is a real job, which is great. Um, you know, so I've been working on a lot of different things. It's winter, so I'm not doing as much like plant and garden stuff. Like, yeah. you know, it's January in Pennsylvania. In um, yeah, yeah right. So um, I've been doing, I've been working with a Hebrew manuscript of the Pentacles called Sefer Ha'otot, the Book of Seals, mm. which is a later manuscript. So it's like, it's embarrassing that I don't know this date. I'm going to say 1729. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a Jewish manuscript. So the, like all the copyists in its transmission are Hebrew fluent. And so it preserves, I think, like a much more robust version of the pentacles, right, where, and you can tell that the scribe, whose name is Isaac, um, like, first of all, you know, in Christian grimoires, I think as a result of this, of magic broadly being forbidden, right, or at least, deeply deeply unacceptable there's this real tendency of the authors of christian grimoire -um. grimoire -um, i believe to be the plural of grimoire i'm trying to get it to catch one. i don't know if that's the real plural but yeah it's more fun right yeah and i feel like who gets to decide that i think it's us like i feel like we're the sort of people who get to decide with the plural of grimoire plus one for me i vote yes all right excellent (laughs) so like in these christian Grimoire, -um, the authors have this tendency to like really occlude their themselves Mm. right like they you know what I mean they don't like not only is the author's name not present but there's never any like first person like well this is how I use this and oh I saw this under manuscript where it was like this but in Jewish and Muslim grimoires I think because there's not they're not it's not forbidden right like you know magicians are like weird maybe you like don't want your daughter to marry a magician (laughs) like maybe you don't even necessarily want to be his neighbor like he's a little weird but like it's not forbidden it's not illegal like those are definitely people in your community with whom you have an ongoing relationship and especially things like amulets like even today many rabbis will write amulets if you ask them to like it's a like and the pentacles are well inside like sort of a normative Hebrew amulet tradition so like even if you are not at all Hebrew literate like if you just look at a lot of Hebrew amulets you'll be like oh yeah these look just like the pentacles. like they're just structurally made the same way so in this Jewish text there's a lot more like sort of commentary and like sort of marginalia, right? So sometimes he says, like, for example, we know that he, the scribe Isaac has seen more than one copy of this, more than one version of this text, because sometimes he talks about like, oh, in this other manuscript, it says blah, blah, blah. Or sometimes he says like, this is the way it's written in the book, but that is definitely wrong. And it should be blah, blah, blah. Mm. And those are really helpful because Hebrew amulets are in code a lot of times. Right, And so like knowing like his, when he corrects, he like justifies his correction. He's like, it should be this because of this verse. And that's really helpful for figuring out like for code cracking, right? So a lot of times, for example, like a holy name is made out of like the first letter of every word in a verse, which is really easy to do if you like have the verse and want to construct the name but mm-hmm. when you have the name and you're trying to go backwards to the verse oh, much harder yeah. yeah there's some software my collaborator wrote some software out <laughs> um and that manuscript like my Hebrew is not hundred percent fluent like I can't like I can watch Israeli drama where they talk slow but not Israeli comedy where they talk fast. Basically that's about my level, right? (laughs) Um, And so like when it starts to get technical encoded, like I'm a little iffy, but also this manuscript just as a manuscript is pretty difficult. Like his blessings to Isaac the scribe, Uh, like his rabbinic handwriting, like on the pentacles themselves, beautiful. We call it asherit, like that square Hebrew script people. But, you know, that's not what Hebrew handwriting looks like. Right. And so, and also this isn't, you know, Hebrew, modern Israeli Hebrew is not, let me think about how to say this, more so than other languages, because after the founding of Israel, the Hebrew language changes like quite a bit. So his 1729 Hebrew handwriting uh, is pretty hard. And the manuscript is not that, like the the ink bleeds through from one side of the page to the other. So at some point I just hired a specialist in Hebrew manuscripts to help out with the like transcription and transcribing. And she studies Jewish magic, but is not herself a magician always a choice i find weird like <laughs> like i don't understand how you spend man, like young. yeah right but I I, she she's very she, she's young like she's you know she just oh, finished graduate like she just graduated from her graduate program at oxford yes. i guess in the summer right um yeah but she also has a background in math which was helpful for some of the co- like as do i right like before i quit the witch full time i was a mathematician And so there was a lot of like code cracking. It's been a really fun project. It'll be out next. So I kickstarted it. And what I promised people in the Kickstarter was like just the translation with no like commentary or anything. Mm -hmm. That is basically done at this point, but it's not really due out until September. So I'm going to fluff it up with a lot of commentary. And then later on sometime in 2025, I think early, tw- maybe spring 2025, we're gonna come out with a fancy edition from and with like a lot of commentary and brand new illustrations.
0: Sweet. Thanks.
2: Yeah, it'll be really cool. I'm really excited about this text. It It both confirms a lot of things I thought about the pentacles. Like I will say personally, and this is an unpopular opinion. So most of my colleagues and scholars don't agree with me on this, although I will say the number who agree with me has been slowly creeping up. So I think probably I'm on the right side of history in this one. I believe that the pentacle, I'm sorry, I'm getting really into the weeds on this.
0: It's fine. Um,
2: Okay. So the key of Solomon, right?
3: Yeah.
2: Like we talk about it as if it's a single book, but it's not really a single book. It's like a whole family of related books. Yeah. And depending how like lax you're willing to be with the like it's there's kind of a fuzzy boundary around it so like depending how fuzzy you're willing to let those boundaries be like the earliest copies of the key of solomon are the oldest copies of the Hygromantia, which is like a greek text right so like most of the key of solomon even though it purports to be jewish in origin is almost certainly primarily greek in origin but you know those cultures are very closely woven together Mm -hmm. yeah the Pentacles, however, there's like they're they're not original to the text. Like so the Hagramantia doesn't have them. And there's some there's some ways to know that they're not like a cohesive, they're not part of the original text. So for example, the Key of Solomon has like a book one and a book two, but the pentacles are actually not in either of those books. They're in between book one and book two. In in some manuscripts that have like better chapter labeling, basically. Like, and that's evidence that they're separate. So I believe that the pentacles originated in Sephirod, that is to say in the Jewish communities in Muslim controlled Spain, probably in like the 12th or 13th century. And like Sephirotot, I think does maybe, like, again, it's like, I'm still working on this. So it might be that if you have me back in a year, I'm gonna say like, oh no, I was totally wrong. Right now, that's what I think. And there's some evidence for that. So like certain animal names, he like doesn't know a name for the animal in Hebrew or I don't, I don't know who, like somewhere in the chain of transmission, right? Someone doesn't have this name. And so they'll say like, or they say a name, but it's like a biblical name that just means like bird basically, like it doesn't maybe specify. And then he will say, but in the colloquial, and then give a name that to me certainly seems like it's in Ladino, in judeo-spanish but it could be like some kind of dialect form of italian Mm -hmm. which is what most people say most Um, people say that the the pentacles were probably originated in like 14th century italy right so that is also anyway the the text is giving like there's a lot of like hints around the edge in addition to the pentacles which are beautiful and way more complicated than like the Mathers pentacles or most of the key of Solomon pentacles. So like where these have like one letter, you know what I mean? Like in each say like spoke of a star. Yeah. Hoto will have a whole word, sometimes a whole Bible verse Wow. in that place. So there's just a lot more Hebrew. And even though it's a later manuscript, you know, like when you look at some manuscripts of the key of Solomon, when you look at their pentacles, they like the person doing the copying obviously does not know Hebrew like they don't even know the alphabet because they're drawing some squiggles that are like not letters and it takes some doing to even figure out what letter they meant so Mm. even though this is later I think having a Hebrew fluent like chain of transmission just preserves a much more understandable version yeah Yeah. you Um, know what I mean and Isaac definitely feels very fluent with these pentacles like he feels comfortable correcting them and commenting on them like he clearly knows what he's doing
0: Yeah. Another thing I think about a lot of these manuscripts is that for practitioners of magic, they're like cookbooks. And this is something that my Mm -hmm. teacher Chris Warnock says. And so there's also a difference between somebody who is a cook and knows all these recipes and has made all these recipes and has their own versions of them. And somebody who's just writing down their grandmother's recipe and Mm -hmm. doesn't even do it, you know? Yeah.
2: 100%. You know, the word grimoire is very closely related to the word grammar. Like Mm. grimoire means textbook. That's what that word means. Mm. And so I feel like when people are like, I do it just the way they did it in a textbook, like that is not the flex they think it is.
1: Right. That's interesting. (laughs) You know,
2: like, I don't know, man, but I do think like, it's really important to I love the cookbook analogy right because like when you're learning to cook like maybe you should follow the recipe a couple of times yeah. but I know like I'm an experienced cook and I basically never follow a recipe yeah exactly you know what I mean they're like inspiration for making my own so I think like when you really study and that's the goal in this book is that like I really want to like deep dive the petal and like take them apart and show how they work so that people can become fluent enough in them to make their own
3: mm-hmm. which yeah.
2: I understand to be the goal of Anything. how did like you get
1: into this pentacle deep dive yourself? Like how? Where did the pentacles first enter into your life, and how did you come to write these books?
2: So I got into magic really young, right? And so my first exposure to Solomonic magic was a book called Ritual Magic by E.M. Butler, which is a scholarly work on grimoire magic, which has a lot of big excerpts from a lot of different grimoires so it doesn't have any grimoire but it has enough excerpts and it like explains sort of like the structure of grimoire ritual in such a way that like I just kind of like put the excerpts together and then filled it in with like fairy tales and movies I mean I'm like maybe 13 in this story (laughs) right (laughs)
3: okay Uh,
2: I mean so I'm filling it in with what I can and I'm filling it in with Judaism right because because at 13 I was quite credible like when they said this magic comes from king solomon i was like cool okay mm-hmm. well like he's jewish and i'm jewish so i'm just gonna like jew in between the edges yeah. which works quite well as i am in fact half greek and half jewish much like solomonic magic right and so that was my practice and I don't think that book had pentacles in it, but I came across pentacles like relatively early. Like I tried really hard to get my hands on a copy of the Key of Solomon, which yeah. was like not that easy in 1985 in Amish country.
3: Okay. Like it
2: took some doing, but eventually I got one. And you know, I wrote this book because I it was frustrated that nobody else had. Yeah. Because you look at the pentacles and they have words all over them. But even if you read Hebrew, like, Uh, It's not 100% clear what all those words are Mm -hmm. because they're names, right? Proper names. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, but what name is this? Because the, you know, and then the text about the pentacles would say like, well, the spirit's written on this pentacle. And I'd be like, what, what spirit's written on this pentacle? And then you would ask people who were like holding themselves up as experts, like, what is this word? And they wouldn't say I don't know, which I think I mean many of them did, but I feel like I don't know is a perfectly legitimate answer. Yeah, they would say it doesn't matter, and I'm like, I think, like I think it does matter. Like there's there's words written on this magic. <laughs> surely it matters what the words are. Like surely, and and I was just frustrated that like I couldn't find this, but like you know my Hebrew then was basically non-existent. But I mean I had a little bit of like prayer book hebrew i knew the alphabet i could like so i could at least like start to try and figure out and i just kept doing that for 30 years Mm -hmm. and then i wrote a book all right but again i actually find it astonishing that no one else has written this book because to me it seems like a very natural way to approach the pentacles. like you look at the pentacles and you're like huh what does that mean yeah and apparently, people I, I don't know. Like I, I was, to me, it was unacceptable to not have an answer to that question.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think that yeah. those are the best kinds of books too to write are ones that should have already been written, mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you know, you know what to how to write it. So, you know, honestly,
2: so- every book I write, it's because I'm frustrated that that book doesn't. <laughs> like I'll say, you know, my Orphic hymns translation, Patrick Dunn's translation came out, mm-hmm. basically. Like we were writing them at the same time. And the truth is if his had been out for a couple of years already, I probably wouldn't have written one.
1: Yeah.
2: Like I do like mine better than his and they're quite different in a lot of ways. Yeah. But like I wrote mine because the only translation available was Thomas Taylor. That's not true. It was Athanasakis, which is a very like academic translation clearly by someone who does not like feel the poetry of the gods in their heart, right? Which is fine. I mean, like, that's not his job. Like, that's cool. Like, I'm into, I'm a nerd too. Like, I don't object to an academic translation, but I just really wanted a, like, magic for today because Thomas Taylor is cool, but sometimes you'd be reading the hymn and all of a sudden he'd say something and you'd be like, hmm, that, like, doesn't sound like something somebody in ancient Greece would have said. That sure sounds like something like a uh, Victorian british guy would have said Uh and then you like go diving into the greek and you're like oh i see
0: well i think (laughs) that's sorry to blow my
2: nose on camera
0: (laughs) sorry but i think that's important also to um like for his time for being in victorian english england that was a very appropriate thing that he did he made it available it Uh, was
2: amazing and also like He's cool as fuck. Like other classicists used to call him Taylor the Pagan, which they understood (laughs) to be an insult. One rumor has it that he sacrificed a goat in his backyard every time he finished a translation. Like Thomas Taylor was super cool, (laughs) right? Like I am sure that like in its day, his hymns were revolutionary.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: But you know, the avant-garde, moves very fast
0: right and every every generation kind of ne- has a different language and way of seeing the world and so on so after a few generations no matter how revolutionary your translation or whatever is it you know it beca- gets out of date to a certain yeah
2: point. or it's just different you know yeah. i just wanted i don't know so i really thought about for that book i was really thinking about like if these poem like if, if Orpheus the Great Bard were writing this poem today in modern English, like how would he do it? And that I mean, I'm not claiming I'm the great or poet Orpheus, but I did my best, you know.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, in a way you should like channeled his I try.
2: Yeah. yeah. And similarly with this book, I tried very hard to channel Solomon the Minnesota King.
0: And that's one of the things I really like about this too, is that you really you start with Solomon. Mm -hmm. and he talked about solomon himself um as important to this work uh, yeah a lot of times in when people talk about Solomonic magic i mean solomon is not even really talked about at all
2: yeah but which i always think is weird like you know, in beginner like Facebook groups, I always see this post that's like, "What spirit should I call on to help me learn Solomonic magic?" And I'm like, "It's Solomon. <laughs> like, it's it's actually right there in the name, guys. Like, I think it should be Solomon." And I understand that, like, like clearly the, just like I do not believe that the great bard Orpheus wrote the Orphic hymns in the form that we know them today. I am not claiming that King Solomon wrote the Key of Solomon in anything except in a like. I also take dictation from the dead, kind of way. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like, if you don't think dead people can write books, like, I don't know, are you even magicing? Like, I think you're doing yeah. it wrong. Like, yeah. like there's dead people in magic. Actually, that's a that's a big thing, yeah. right? And so I and I just love. And you know Solomon is is famously a magician, right? Mm-hmm. Like the wisest man who ever lived, and you know, his hagiography is so deep and so multicultural and so well-preserved, right? Like we have very ancient texts talking about Solomon compared to almost any other figure we would talk about in magic. We have well-preserved ancient texts about him, like the Book of Kings, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have quite ancient books legendarily written by him, right? Which I think I I would be hard-pressed to say about any other Magical figure, except like I said, maybe Orpheus. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there aren't that many texts that we like, where we have like a complete and well preserved ancient text that is legendarily ascribed to a magician spirit that we want to work with. So I feel like he's quite easy to talk to among the dead. And because, like, in Greek Orthodoxy and in Catholicism, there is like this, like, I, I understand that maybe they have some way of phrasing it that's not just talking to dead people when they're doing like an, a, a saint or icon practice. But I mean, it, yeah, I, I'm not trying to offend, but I mean, like, that's what saints are. They're, they're dead people, right? They're right. And there's like a well established way of talking to them, but they're
0: also not just dead people.
2: Well, not every dead person is a saint, sure. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's, I also, it seems as though saints and the mighty dead, they take up. They become more than they were. They you
2: know? become different than they were. I mean, in some sense, I would say that they were less than they were, truthfully. That's like, right. You know what I mean? Like, they more and more over time are made out of the story that people tell about them in a way that also happens to living people, right? Like, I'm sure celebrities feel like yeah. they are, like, turning into this story that strangers tell about them. I mean, I am in no way a celebrity, but I, I am now at the point where like people know me who I don't know mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, I mean, I don't want to complain. Like I love my job, but it's it's like weird when like I'm at a convention or something. And I'm, I don't mean most people, but it's clear to me that like some people maybe don't understand that that is not a reciprocal relationship. But like having watched me on YouTube, like, it wasn't a two-way conversation like I didn't get to watch them and I don't know who they are and so like it's weird that you're hugging me right now like I'm trying to be friendly like I don't know who you are um and I feel like right and I think it's almost the same process with the mighty dead right that like there's lots of pieces of them that are lost right like not everything that we are survives death which is probably good right um but Like, the pieces that do, I think, are, you know, move and change over time in response to the way people speak about you. And that's why, like you know, there's a lot of different Solomons among the mighty dead, if that makes any sense. And that's why I always talk about like Solomon Magician King. Like that's the particular one that I'm looking for as opposed to, I mean, it's not always, right? There's Solomon the Dreamer, right? Like I I think I cut this from the book actually. There's so much that used to, like easily 70 pages of stuff got cut out of this book to get it down to the length Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be, which I'm sure like, Some of it's on my website and some of it will be in Hato. Like, you know, people will see all of it eventually, I imagine. But one of the things I think about is how there's like a different like icon, like a different face of Solomon for each planet. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So like Solomon the dreamer, when you're working with like lunar stuff, right? Because there's all these stories about Solomon as a like magical dreamer. I mean, all the biblical characters, right? Like dreaming is a really important and dream incubation. And so I talk about that in the book. And I really recommend it. I don't, I don't think we talk about that enough in magic, but like, I I think for most people in your dreams is the easiest place to make first contact with a spirit. And I don't, so there's a lot of like dream incubation instruction in the book, which is partly because I think it's important and partly because Solomon thinks it's important, but also there's a lot of dream incubation pentacles. Like Mm -hmm. there's probably three or four pentacles that are like, for getting answers in dreams, you know? And yeah, so I think about all the different Solomons. You know, Jupiter Solomon is like the king one mm-hmm. and Saturn Solomon is the wise one, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And there's Solomon the warrior that like, Are, yeah, you know those St. George iconography where he's like on the ho- horse slaying the dragon? Yeah. Well, like in in older Greek amulet gems, those are pictures of Solomon, like the exact same iconography, which is wow. fascinating because I was real, like I'm not into saints generally, mm-hmm. right? But St. George is a state I like, always felt a really strong connection with. So I was very excited to like, oh, that's, that's why I've been to St. George. So cool. Yeah, that's um, yeah, so I I just, and Solomon is such a like, bombastic teacher. Mm -hmm. that like you know he wants to teach you magic because because we have all these texts attributed to him right and like if you read ecclesiastes and you read song of songs that's like definitely a dude that wants to talk (laughs) yeah you know what i mean like he has stuff to say and he would like to tell it to you
0: (laughs) definitely has stuff to say yeah for sure
2: or like proverbs right i mean that's the the teachiest book in torah in some ways do you know what i mean like that's the book that like parents read their kids at home Mm -hmm. that's how I understand proverbs right the book of proverbs and that's legendarily attributed to solomon like he is in his heart koholet right which is the hebrew the the book of ecclesiastes is called koholet in Mm -hmm. hebrew which is interesting because that's a female word Mm -hmm. like koholet means like a teacher or a preacher it actually means like someone who can hold the attention of the of the assembly like it really just means a person who can hold the attention of a crowd
1: uh-huh
2: um but Koholet is female, and that's really interesting because it's it's almost always like we almost always attribute that to Solomon like that title, and it's interesting that it's a female title, yeah.
0: Yeah, that is very interesting. So maybe we could go into a little bit dream incubation because I think that is so important. It's a practice that in the ancient times was like universal and like you go to dream dream temples. Also
2: in like not in most modern cultures, still universal. Like ours is one of the only cultures where that is not a like just like normal practice. (sighs)
1: Right. Yeah, you you talk about that in the book, how like our uh, dependency on like You know drugs or alcohol or whatever and are like go go
2: go like
1: is robbing us of our dreams you know i
2: really think i think the overwhelming majority of americans are chronically sleep deprived and that cuts us off from our dreams in a way that feels really insidious to me yeah
0: like yeah Yeah. and and there's there's uh recording your dreams and Mm -hmm. trying to like remember your dreams uh, and And then there's actively trying to incubate specific (laughs) things. And so how does somebody do that?
2: Well, look, the first step is to like get your body in a place where you are indeed, like first you need to reestablish just like normal, healthy dreaming, right? Which means like, No drinking, you know, people say marijuana suppresses dreaming. I will say personally, that is not my experience of marijuana, but I will say it is the experience of most people I talk to and I'm a very strong dreamer. So I will say like, I don't always know what's normal and that's not, but, but it really is like the, the number one key to Oniromancy dream magic is to get more sleep because as long as you are sleep deprived, like you're never gonna, your body's always going to prioritize like healing which it needs to do during sleep, right? So you got to just sleep enough. But then after that, you just want to get in a place where you are reliably like remembering your dreams. The the key, you know, dream incubation, it's not even really a magical technique. It's just a normal human thing that like, if you go to bed worried about something, you're probably going to, like whatever it is, you're turning over in your head when you fall asleep, you're probably going to dream about it, especially if you're anxious about it. Well, that's how dream incubation works, right? And so there's little pieces of magic that can like help that along, right? But for the most part, in its essence, dream incubation is that you like focus on what you want to dream about while you are falling asleep. And ideally you do that in a kind of anxious way where you're like, your head is spinning. Something that I find really helps is like audio so sometimes I will like record myself saying like a almost a script for a dream and I'll just put it on repeat while I'm sleeping and I am so susceptible to that that like wow. if my roommate is watching tv in another room I'm probably gonna dream about it like if I can hear it yeah. it like see like the things you can hear they seep into your dreams right and so I think I mean it's a it's it's so, rel- like it's not a magical technique at all. It's just how human brains work, right? And then that's like the, bit, the first stage of dream incubation. Like the easiest kind of dream incubation is you basically have a question. In Judaism, we would say you ask a dream a question, mm. right? But it's more like you have a top, I think of it more like you have a topic that you want a solution to, yeah. right? And you turn it over and then you sleep on it, right? And you dream about it and wisdom comes, right? And once you're sort of at that level, right, where you can, like, on that psychological level, you can kind of determine what you're going to dream about. Like, the more sophisticated kind of dream incubation is really just a spirit conjuration combined with that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you get the spirit to actually do the answering instead of your brain to do the answering. Like, you seek. Like the thing you're programming yourself to do in your dream is the conjuration basically. And it still works and it's much easier because genuinely, I don't know why. I mean, I want to be like, oh, it's because the dreaming is halfway to the magical realm. But like, I don't know what that sentence even means really. But I think we all have a sense that like, I think all of us who are in tune with the spirit world have an experience that like, communicating with the spirit world and dreaming are similar in the way they like feel in your body like they are clearly similar neurological phenomena is really what I mean by saying that like dreams are close to the magical the spirit realm like the spirit sight and the dreaming are clearly related to each other but not identical right like they're different just like a hallucinogen trip is kind of like a dream and kind of like a spirit journey but yes. still quite distinct experiences and yeah. some
1: some dreams are like pretty clear in their like wisdom but any tips for interpreting dreams that are sort of like not coming to you easy as far as so
2: their... a lot of things the first one is that like an important dream will repeat
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: so if you're not like really sure about a dream you can try just Incubating about the dream the next night, but also, like, I feel like you don't have to worry about an important message that you got in a dream being lost because if it is important, you will it will repeat. Thank you. And so, that. if you see a, if you get repeating dreams, those are the ones that I feel like you really have to focus in on. But if spirits try and talk to you in your dreams, they're going to keep calling until you answer the phone, <laughs> yeah, at least for a while. You know what I mean? Like, it'll repeat. So, that's the number one. In yeah. fact. I honestly, I generally advise, like people come to me for dream interpretation. I generally tell them that like, if that dream hasn't repeated, they should just ignore it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Because mm-hmm. then it will repeat and it's like a clearer sign, which is generally my position on omens broadly, that omens repeat. And if they did like that, that is a diagnostic criteria of omens is they have to repeat, mm-hmm. right? Um. The other thing is to like, the first thing to do is just kind of rule out a, dream not rule out I'm not saying they're not important but like what I think of as like normal dreaming is just sort of like your brain is just reviewing things that happened that day or maybe even in the last couple days and just kind of like putting them in order so like look at your dream and which parts of it are just like a thing you saw in a movie that day Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and those I think don't have a lot of deeper meaning to them that's just your brain like fixing its filing system, basically. Like, that is how, that's part of how our memories work, right? Is that we, like, refile our memories while we're dreaming to, like, connect them into our memory card catalog. Yeah. You can tell I'm, like, not a neurologist here, so you're like, recovering. struggling to describe, yes. but that, you know, you set your memories while you're dreaming. You kind of sift through those, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing is, I think a lot of times people focus too much on... Mm, like metaphor Mm. in dreams and not enough on like how those dreams feel
0: yeah Mm. yeah
3: do you know what i
2: mean so i recently had a dream where my late mother slowly turned into being made out of charcuterie (laughs) (laughs) which sounds hilarious but it was actually like terrifying like it was it was really it, it 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 was a very like grief-inducing dream. Um, yeah. Definitely. But it wasn't like the fact that it was charcuterie, where did that come from? Like, I don't know. I-, I I feel like it wasn't really about that. It was the realization, like, oh, you're not my mother. You're a monster pretending to be my mother. Yeah. And like if you focus on the feelings in the dream, I think that gives you and like was that dream anxiety about the fact that I'm maybe not as close to my family, extended family as I would like to be now that my parents are dead. Like yeah like it definitely was and like do you have that dream during the holidays like obviously you know what i'm saying like if you focus on the feeling part i think that's really a lot of times explains to you what the dream is trying to tell you but again that dream it was just a dream like i'm not going to take it too serious it didn't repeat you know what i mean i had a bad dream and i'm a grown up so that's fine yeah you Self- know but... i mean it, it yeah it was a i was it was an unpleasant morning when I woke up, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'd rather, like I said, I'm a strong dreamer. So like my dreams kind of stick with me for a while. We just true sure about the bad ones, but also about the good ones. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the other thing about dreams is for me, dreams that what I think of is like special dreams. So sometimes I dream things that haven't happened yet. Yeah, and exactly. sometimes I dream other people's dreams, especially if they're physically in my proximity, and they like this is a weird thing to say, but some people I find like dream on the same frequency. Hmm. So, like my housemate's girlfriend and I dream on the same frequency. So when she's wife, actually I called her his girlfriend. But she's his wife. Like when when she's sleeping here, she and I very routinely share dreams. Interesting. Yeah. Like some people, I think just more than others, but it's not, it's one of the reasons I really don't like to share a bed truthfully. Like if I share a bed with somebody, they're going to be all up in my dreams in a way that I actually don't really care for. Yeah. Right. So, but for me, special dreams, like predictive dreams, they are quite recognizable. Like they just have a different character to them. Mm. I want to say that they're more vivid But that's not exactly the case it's there's like like, yeah yeah they're a lot crisper yeah and emotionally they're maybe less vivid like i feel like emotions in dreams are quite heightened compared Mm -hmm. to like regular waking life but at least for me premonitions are not like that they're just like like being awake to the point where every once in a while i have to be like did I, did that, did that really happen or was that, that a dream? Do you know what I mean?
1: So much when I was
2: younger. Yeah, right. And so. so an with Someone and they would be like, I have no clue what you're talking about. It's like,
1: we just yeah. talked.
2: And so like, a lot of the ancient authorities, like Talmud and the other like authorities on dreaming, they'll say that. They say that like a special dream, a like dream that comes from God, they would say, like it has a special character to it. Mm-hmm. It like, it has the character of real life to it and it also doesn't have the like you know how when you're telling a dream either telling to somebody else or writing it down it it doesn't really make sense like you're in one place but it's also this other place and somehow it's both of those places at once and that made perfect sense in the dream but now that you're thinking about it like it doesn't those are I think that characteristic of dream that is a characteristic that it's like a regular dream dream Mm-hmm. and not like a communication dream. Mm-hmm. The dreams where like a spirit is make- giving you a dream are not as like that in my experience. Like they're, they, they go in order mm-hmm. and like they have a setting that is a setting that stays where it is sure, in a yeah. way. They're just more solid. Like it's not that they're more vivid. Again, in some ways they're less vivid, particularly emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you like wake up from a nightmare and like your heart is pounding, mm-hmm. I feel like magic dreams are actually not like that. They're You're sort of like your normal waking, yeah level of emotionality. Mm-hmm. But they have a like solidity yeah. to them, mm-hmm. right? Where they're not like just flowing one idea into another. Like things have crisper boundaries. And I think that is the the number one thing to look for, right? in a dream that, like, is important in some way, like it arose from somewhere that's not you. That's really how I think about it. Mm -hmm. That like the dreams that arise from inside me are really just like things that were already in my head, kind of softly muddled together. And those are good. And there's a lot of value in them. Like that's where we solve problems. That's where we heal. But from a magical standpoint, they're, they're still all in you. Like there's nobody else in that dream. Everybody in that dream was you. Right. Whereas the dreams that come from outside have it, they're like in someone else's voice, if that makes sense. Totally. And yeah. they're a lot like tighter and more solid.
0: Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe, maybe we should get to the, to, to some pentacles. Though, sure. So, so um, what, what are pentacles and what can you do with them for people? So,
2: who- A pentacle is a kind of a Hebrew amulet, I think is the, there are a lot of ways to think about them, but I think the simplest way to think about them, let me just show like an example of one that I think is, okay, so this is something I call the all knowing dodecagram, this is something that I think of as like an archetypal pentacle, right, so they're circular, one of these, like, the bait, the generic pentacle is circular. It has words around the circumference, which are almost always a verse from Torah, Mm -hmm. right? I will say that the more Jewish they are, the more likely they are to not be just a straight verse from Torah, but to be a verse from Torah that is in code or a combination of multiple verses or a verse written backwards, but some of the words are forwards Mm -hmm. and all those sort of things. Yeah, like they're, they just, they're a little more. It's, it's what I was saying before about cooking, right? When that's your holy text yeah. and you've spent your entire life studying it, I think you feel a little more free to prayer. like get weird with it. I, I gotcha, okay. You know, um, essentially you can tell, like in sefer Ha'atot, you can tell that they're writing the verses from memory because uh-huh. sometimes they'll make an error where like they have the wrong word, but it's a synonym for the word that's in Torah. Yeah. and to me that's an indication that they just like knew they were just writing the verse from by heart yeah. but like they said ship instead of boat yeah basically you know what i mean or um sometimes they chain those sort of mistakes indicate to me that they're probably being written from memory right um so that's called a versicle and i think of it as like a lens right we have this magic circle and in in magic generally i think circles you know geometrically a circle there's only two things to it it has a center and it has a boundary which is all the points that specific distance away from the center mm-hmm. right and when you think about it that way that's all magic that has a circle in it. it has to rely on those properties because that's all a circle is right and so in in pentacles most of the time in circle in magic a circle is sort of creating like a bubble of space like space-time consciousness that is somehow different than the space-time consciousness on the outside, right? And so we normally think of ourselves as being inside the circle, but these pentacles, we have like little ones, right? And I think the versicle, I think of it as sort of like a semi permeable membrane that determines like what kinds of energy can flow in and out of your circle. Then on the inside, right? So we talk about them as amulets, right? And I think that's the easiest way to think about them, but there's another sense in which they are a diagram of a ritual, right? So, on the inside, you have, like, sometimes some geometry, right? And then primarily, the insides of pentacles are composed out of, like, um, names of power. So, names for God, names that we interpret as angel names, and sometimes other kinds of Hebrew words of power, basically. And some of those are made out of Torah verses, um, but a lot of them are just quite familiar names for God and for angels, right? And they essentially rely on those names that are like given a structure by the geometry inside the pentacle.
0: Cool. So the you also mentioned in the book that these um, pentacles come from their powers from the divine name. They're coming from the divine plane. Um, but they also have a celestial aspect to them. They're they're split up by planet. So they're they're definitely
2: aspect. categorized by planet. So here's the thing. Like, I'm not, I think when we're saying, when we're talking about like different kinds of magic, like, oh, is it divine or is it celestial? I think that matters a lot more just to give us some kind of vocabulary to talk That's about them. Like in terms of your actual practice with them, Like there are a lot of things, right? So Agrippa talks about three kinds of magic. Natural magic, where like the power for the magic comes from like plants and stones and whatever, but also from the magician themselves, right? Like the power is coming from earth, like things that are embodied on earth. And then we have this celestial or like purely, he means like astrological level, right? Where So the natural level, really the power is coming from matter right? And then at that astrological level, the power is coming from time, Mm -hmm. right? Like when we talk about those astrological levels, if we're talking about the power of the planet Venus, just qua the planet Venus, that's actually natural magic, right? right. It's just an embodied being and that body is the planet Venus. But usually when we talk about astrological magic, we're talking about timing. And in some ways, like the planets and stars are really just a clock, by w- that we are using to keep track of timing, yeah. right? The pentacles are not very timing sensitive, most of them. Some of them are. Like the pentacles are kind of a collection of other magics. So some of them, and Sefer to remember what I was saying about how Jewish magicians like maybe cite their sources a little more?
3: Yeah.
2: Because, but I, I appreciate that like Christian magicians when they're not citing their sources, what they're doing is not naming names of who their collaborators in this criminal enterprise are. Like I do understand why they're doing it. But like, because they cite their sources, they'll say like, oh, and this one I copied from this book. And so some of them are quite astrological. Like some of them are obviously astrological. They specify like you have to do this when Jupiter is in cancer or whatever. But most of them are not, and they don't rely super strongly on the timing aspect just like they don't rely especially strongly on the materia aspect, right? Like the essence of their power is in these names and words, right? Their spirit magic, mo- or you, you could also think of it as like mental magic, right? And sort of both of those things at once. So we have like a matter kind and a time kind and a kind that is bound by neither time nor space is really, I think, what Agrippa is getting. Like if, he, if Agrippa were writing today, I think that's how you categorize them, matter, time and things unbound in time and space. And the pentacles are really primarily that third kind, but I encourage people to bring all of them. So I do, I think it's good to use like, a like appropriately colored inks and incenses or metals if people wanna make them in metal. I know today there's this idea that they have to be made in metal, but that is not only false, it's also ahistoric. like historically most pentacles were written on parchment or paper. And most of the time, it doesn't even matter what kind. Like every once in a while they do special, but they're not a materia heavy magic. But it's good to introduce, like you get more oomph by introducing the right materia. And similarly, you get more oomph by introducing the right timing. But I think if you neglect the unbounded time and space aspect, like the language spirit aspect, angels are their names, like mm-hmm. they're made out the same, the same way a name is a shape you make out of your breath. Like an angel is sort of similarly like a shape made out of spirit ah. is a way I think. And and the words for breath and spirit in Hebrew and almost all ancient languages are identical.
0: Like- Well, spirit, in, spirit means- Yeah, breath. and
2: spirit in English as well. Like inspire, yeah. like respiration. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like, there's a reason those are the same word, yeah. you know? Um, but I think sometimes people make pentacles that like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but I like, technically I maybe wouldn't call it a pentacle. It's really just like a, a home. It's a, it's the kind of a talisman. That's like a home for a spirit, but it's really just decorated like a pentacle. Like if you, if your answer is like, it doesn't matter what the words are. Well, it's really not a pentacle at that point. You've just It's just a different kind of a talisman that you have decorated to look like a pentacle. Mm. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I feel like once you understand the power of the words, like, they're better. I mean, they just work better because that's the, that's these particular magic, that's how they're constructed to work.
0: So. Yeah. So what are the, what, how do the pentacles work in terms of like do you have to keep it on you at all times or do you use it like on a uh on an altar or like how how do you actually or is so, it just by making the pentacle that it that what you want happens
2: I think they can be used in all of those ways so I think the way that we like we in the modern english speaking occult world think of them we think of them primarily as amulets that you would wear mm-hmm. right and i do think that's like maybe understood to be like their central use, right? Like the easiest way to think about them. But I will say I actually use them most, I'm actually not a huge fan of amulets. I don't, let me think about how to say this. I broadly, just as a rule, would prefer to do like a whole bunch of very targeted magic rather than like one really big magic because I can. (laughs) I get do you know what I'm saying like if when I wasn't as good at magic then like maybe like all my like good luck spells were kind of all the same and all I could do was just like generally call out to the spirit of good luck and have it like wash over me and that's great but I feel like once you have the ability to be like more precisely targeting I just personally prefer that so I usually use pentacles almost as like tables of practice, right? So I was saying like, like as a diagram of a ritual, I I make them pretty big, right? So I make them like on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper or even bigger, mm-hmm. right? And then I do, ma- and I, I sort of cast a circle and then I do magic inside of it. Almost yeah. like, I'll tell you the way I think about it. This is a little embarrassing, but really how I think about it, if I get down to it, is I like, Imagine like this really elaborate ritual that like I as a like crazy wizard am doing in like this amazing location, and like this giant thing. And I'm when I make the pentacle, I'm almost like basically like playing with dolls, like reenacting that thing on this small scale on my desk. That's really, honestly, in some ways how I'm ending. So like where the name is, I imagine like the letters turning into fire and then like coalescing into the spirit. And like they're all moving around with me inside the circle. And so that's really how, and that's how, when I make them as talismans, that's still what I'm doing. Mm. Well, that's one of many things that I'm doing. Right. So I, I personally think that for beginners, the best way to use pentacles, another way to think about pentacles is as a like portal. Yeah. Right. You're like opening up a like, portal directly to the spirit realm and that it's opening to like the specific spirits whose names are there Mm -hmm. right for this specific purpose and you can sort of communicate through it right and then let me think about how to say this another way to think about them is they're almost like a machine whose individual parts are made out of these like awakened letter, like an algorithm or a code, like a computer code in the sense that computer code is like made out of right. zeros and ones. The pentacles are like made out of Hebrew letters arranged in this complex pattern. And so you can also think of them as almost like a machine you are constructing. And that I think is a really good way to think about them when you're making them. Because when you're empowering them, like as you kind of push the energy through them, especially when you're first starting and you're maybe not very good at it, because I I think it's important to understand that like the first time you make a pentacle, you're definitely gonna do a bad job. Like that's just the nature of doing things as a human is you get better at them. So I think it's important to like understand that the first couple of times you do this, you're maybe not very good at it. But the the magic's really resilient. So like you can kind of feel, like if you're working a pentacle that's poorly made, You can kind of feel, and the way I think about it is like, as the energy moves through, the like gears don't really quite match up and you can kind of feel, you know, that noise a transmission makes when it's about to die, like, it's kind of like that, right? You can kind of feel the gears grinding in your pentacle, but if you just kind of keep, just kind of gently, like turning the energy in it, you know, the machine it's not really a machine because each of those little gears, like each of the little letters and each of the spirits is sentient in their own right. So if you just kind of like be gentle with it and push some energy through it, they'll kind of like rearrange themselves. Okay. Which is also like, I had a crazy experience once of doing the LBRP, Mm -hmm. but I had like, I was wrong about what direction was which. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I had people in the wrong place and they just moved. Like I would conjure an angel <laughs> and they'd be like, no. Nah. And like, oh, like you know, when the waitress, like you're, you have a big party and they give the orders and like every, they gave everybody the wrong food and you're just like polite about it. But then yeah. when the waitress leaves, you just all switch plates. Oh it was just God. like that. Like they just like, They're like, honey, okay. I'm over here. Yeah. yeah, and they just like moved, <laughs> right? um and it's like that right they they actually it's already constructed like the geometry of the panicle will do that work for you oh. right and so like i find that if you just but be gentle like if you try and force the gear like you could break it right but just like gently pour and you can kind of feel the gears like line up and then you can kind of tell when the energy is like moving smoothly
3: mm-hmm.
2: and as you get better like you don't have to massage them as much, if that makes sense. Like, but it's yeah. just, it's like anything else. It's just like a skill to right. the way you awaken them, really. Yeah. Or if they have typos in them, like yeah. they will work with mistakes in them. They're pretty resilient, but uh they work a lot better without typos. <laughs> like a lot better.
0: Okay. I, I find this really interesting too, because I mean, I've been I've been studying Vedic astrology and more of the Hindu Tantra and so on a little bit. Um, And they have yantras there, which are Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways very similar to pentacles. Yes. The word yantra even means machine. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, it's very kind of a similar thing. But I'm also wondering, you brought up the LBPR, the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the pentagram. And in a way, that's a kind of pentacle in, in space. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, it's a very similar, like... Surely, whoever invented the LBRP was familiar with this kind of magic, like they're clearly of a type, you know. Well, yeah. and, and
0: actually, to talk about that, I mean, um, <laughs> you have uh, well, you got the the key of Solomon, uh-huh. right? Um, and Mathers, who was one of the founders of the Golden Dawn, um, mm-hmm. is, is the
2: Samuel Mathers, but also Moina Mathers, who I think when we, his wife, but I think when we talk about the pentacles, it's really important to, if you look at a timeline of SL Mathers writing and note where Mina enters the picture, it's quite obvious that she has a lot, like she is more involved in this process than she is given credit for. Because like, for example, his understanding of Kabbalah and Jewish magic and Hebrew suddenly improves very rapidly when he marries a Jewish girl
0: wow yeah I loved
2: reading about that in Mm -hmm. your book about her yeah Yeah. anyways I didn't mean to interrupt I'm just I'm a real Moina Mathers fan
0: yeah she's fantastic Mm -hmm. um but I mean he he they they, he's
2: he's cool too I mean he's not he he seems like he was a real asshole truthfully but he's brilliant and like I enjoy his work
0: I also find it very interesting that his initials are SLM
2: yeah that's not an accident his initials (laughs) and my initials and that I mean yeah like I didn't so the method I teach in the book is for people who haven't read it, it's called the SLM method, right? And the S stands for Solomon, the L stands for language, and the M stands for magic book. And those are like the key components of my Solomonic method. But yeah, it's, it's, I, it's not an accident.
1: <laughs> is your middle name also an L?
2: Yes. Oh,
0: Love that. It's right there. S L M.
2: Oh yeah. In fact, when I first started writing, I used to write as S L Mastro's, which was partly because it sounded like S L Mather's, but also because I perhaps wanted to disguise the fact that I was a woman, which is why I've stopped doing it. Nice. You know, I was talking before about E.M. Butler, that like magical scholar that like first turned me on to Solomon Magic. It was a revelation to me when like five years later, I found out that her first name was Elizabeth, that like, and that's true. Like we think that like, there's a lot more female occultists than you might think. They're disguising the fact that they're female because dudes won't write, read books written by women. Yeah. I want to say historically, but definitely today, I know many female authors who use their initials because of that. Mm-hmm. Which is why I don't, because fuck those dudes. They don't deserve to read my book. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally.
1: Love that attitude.
0: So that I think that's really fascinating, too, about all of those. Uh, uh, yeah. not it's not, a, it's not a coincidence <laughs> why you wrote this book that the Mathers was involved, yeah. all these things. You know, um,
2: my editor is actually like the like seventh cousin or something of Moina oh, Mathers. Wow. Like I found out while writing this book. No way.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah Judica it. Ellis, who is herself like a, you know, yeah. amazing. Is, was also my editor at Wiser on this book.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. She's, she is amazing.
2: Yeah. Uh, I I love, she's such a joy. Like if anybody is looking to publish, I, I have opinions about publishers, but Judica as an editor, like, is I I really she's just a joy to work with.
0: Yeah, I well, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, could we just go over a little bit about like what kinds of things you can do with these Pentacles, and in terms of so they're they're more of a, a gateway to a spirit, and um, well, yeah. So like you know, there's they're all really cool Pentacles, and but like, w- what are some reasons why you would? make a pentacle
2: i feel like honestly a lot of it is like sort of the usual uses for magic you might think yeah right with some like glaring cultural issues so for example the love magic is almost all just really super compulsive in a way that i find a little ooky there's really only like the seal of sheba which is the the one that is just like for all Venus purposes and to make people like you. That's straight up basically the only one I ever use because the other ones are all like, this will force a woman to let you rape her. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like not looking for that actually. <laughs> Here, here's the thing about like Christian Grimoire magic. It is written by feudal warlords for other feudal warlords. So there's a lot of concerns in it that I feel like I'm maybe not, looking for so there's also a lot of like battle pentacles which like don't really come up in my life that often right but and for example something that's really unusual in hebrew amulets like there's there's some missing like there's some things like for example like healthy pregnancy and birth is a thing that like you would expect to be in any collection of amulets particularly hebrew amulets where like that's a very common hebrew amulet but but most collections of magic, you would anticipate having some for that and it's completely absent. But I'll tell you the very first pentacle in Sephirotho is the birthday pentacle, right? And so like, but other than like, like those, like once you understand like what kind of magic the feudal warlords want, those are the kinds that are in this book. So there's a lot of, you know, there's safe travel, both mundane travel and like spirit travel. Um, there's you know, making powerful people like judges and kings like you, which I often recommend for job interviews for example, That's nice. the hexagram of Abe in particular, um, which I actually, I mentioned the COC, but I actually like to combine those two. Like, that's like, make, like, give me glory and honors and riches, and also everybody should just like me and think I'm charismatic. That's like a winning combination for a job interview. So I like those two together. Um, You know, there's a couple for riches, there's a couple for destroying your enemies, there's some weather-related ones that kind of, like, cover the bases of, yeah. you know, you know, something I find delightful, but also a little sad, is that, like, in my career as a professional witch, the kind of requests I get are basically identical to, like, if you look at an ancient spell book like the PGM <laughs> or the Galjabrakh which I maybe said wrong. I don't really do Norse magic, but like, if you look at like the kinds of spells, they're like exactly the same. Like, Oh, make my boss like me, make the person I fancy be into me, get rid of my shitty neighbor. Like they're just the spells you would think they would be. Right. Right. And it's still the same in our modern day. Like those are the things people want magic for again with, I really find the glaring exception of no birth and pregnancy pentacles. There's like, a, a pentacle that I understand to be a fertility pentacle, but even that, like Mathers, isn't really very clear that that's what it's for. Like he kind of beats around the bush with it, but like it's definitely for getting married and have babies. Like that's what that yeah. pentacle's for, right? Um, but also, like,
0: there's well, less. Okay, oh, interesting. Wasn't weren't they like a they had a celibate marriage or something? Like at that you know, time, pe- okay, people
2: them, people say that. But that speculation is based on like one letter that Moina wrote to someone where she was basically like, our love is the most pure love you can imagine. And I'll tell you, like that's just how young people talk when they're in uh, love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I see no, I mean, maybe it was true, but I see no evidence of that. And I would be very surprised if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, it like seems I think that is unlikely and again i don't i have never seen any compelling like the most compelling evidence i've seen is that like a 20 year old woman describes her love as like celestial and pure and i don't know man like i used to teach college and high school and that's just how young women talk like (laughs) you know what i mean like i don't think that means they're not fucking but i definitely maybe
0: like, yeah. maybe that's true. Maybe also in Victorian England, it was just like, you know, you, you, it was more, you just didn't talk about it as much.
2: I mean, I assume that's the case. I will say in Judaism and like, I mean, Moina, I don't I don't know whether Moina continued to, you know, Moyna Mathers, before she had married, her name was Mina Bergson. That's mm-hmm. Henri Bergson's sister. And she comes from a very prominent and very Jewish family. Like her, great-grandmother is like instrumental in the founding of Hasidism right like like it's a big name Jewish family and how religious was her family I mean I don't know her dad was a traveling musician and I don't generally think of those as like I know a lot of musicians and I don't generally think of them as super pious people right but I will say in Judaism a celibate marriage is simply not a marriage like that would be shocking you know that was one of the most shocking things Jesus preached to Jews. Like, abandon your wife and children to follow me. They were like, no fucking thank you. <laughs> right. right? Like, so I just find it unlikely, truthfully. But who knows? I mean, yeah, I don't, I will say I, I, my magic is definitely more on the, like, free love end of the spectrum.
0: Yeah. Well, it just, it does it kind of makes a certain sense that in Victorian England, Maybe the fertility magic wouldn't be as, where the, you know, the, the, yeah, they just don't talk about it. Me,
2: I mean, it might be that I honestly think it's just that it's men and uh-huh. like fertility. Like, what do they care if women die in childbirth?
1: Yeah.
2: Like, I, I mean, that's just my opinion is that like all the female central pentacles are the ones that have been removed.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense too. Yeah.
2: But I just, to me, it's like when, again, when I look at like ancient texts or ancient collections of magic, there's just certain categories that like I expect to see and it is surprising, but also there's less Venus pentacles than there are for other planets. Like there is maybe this suggestion that some Venus ones are missing because there are less, like, look, I do not believe that there is some singular correct, like pure version of the pentacles and everything later is a corruption. I think that That's not how art works. That's not how magic works. Like I think mean, each individual magician like brings their own thing to the table. But the fact that there are like almost 40, like there's 44 of them in the Mathers edition and they're split by the seven pan- planets. And most of the planets have seven pentacles in them. Doesn't it just feel like there should be seven yeah. in each? Like <laughs> yeah, it kind of yeah. feels like some of them are missing. Sure. Right, And that's what I mean by missing is sort of, I'm not saying like Mathers redacted them, yeah. but I am saying like, it just seems weird to me that like if I was doing this work, which I did, right? I mean, I too, I did the same thing Mathers did, right? I looked at a bunch of different manuscripts and I sort of compiled my own edition of The Pentacles just like he did, right? To me, it just feels like there should be seven in every, and I will say in the course, we sort of talk about If an exercise I recommend to more advanced people with pentacles is look at the pentacles and think to yourself, what if they were cross-planetary? Like what if of the seven solar pentacles, there was like a sun moon and a sun mercury? Like try and figure out which they would be. And I think you'll find that actually it's surprisingly easy. Like they do pretty fall into that grid pretty well I mean, some of them are a little hard. Some of them I go back and forth on how to characterize them. When you do that, you kind of tell where the holes are Uh and then just kind of reconstruct what you think should be there. And that's one of the things we do at the end of my Pentacle course, but it's not in the book.
0: Right, so it's definitely more advanced, but- It's
2: partly that it's more advanced and it's partly that it's more like personal. Like I was worried if I did it in the book, people would think I was being like, this is the correct thing to plug that. And that is not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying like, as a magical exercise, it gives you kind of it's a way to start making your own pentacles is to think like well what's missing yeah.
0: mm-hmm. right yeah. once you've got these down mm-hmm. then there is a certain uh, r- 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 room for experimentation and yeah absolutely and pentacles.
2: i mean i actually encourage people to start experimenting on day one okay now you are maybe gonna like get your fingers burnt. I mean, just the other day, I said this on Facebook like two weeks ago, but now that I'm like past it, I'll be more to tell. So one of the things I do in my magical practice is I travel as a hermeneutis, a spirit speaker on behalf of other people. So I will like go down to the underworld and basically play spirit mailman, like pick up their mail, like who's got a message for them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Well, I was doing that for a client the other day and it went poorly. And, like, it's a client, so I don't want to go into details. I met this spirit, and they just seemed deeply unsavory to me. Uh-huh. And I said that. Like, I, I mentioned that to the client. Like, hey, uh, just so you know, this guy gives me the willies. Yeah. Um, And I was talking to the spirit, and I was like, hey, yo, if you can't be nicer, I'm not going to take your mail anymore. Like, you got to. And that was okay. But I, like, still, I don't know. And I came up, and then I threw up for, uh-huh. like, four hours and had a panic attack that's not good okay but here's the thing yeah like you know what like when you do magic sometimes you fuck it up like i was i mean this practice that i am engaging in where i just go to the underworld and talk to whoever the fuck shows up it's like (laughs) not a beginner practice i'm like it's it's a quite cavalier and irresponsible way to work magic and you know what and i understand that like after i got sick i was gun shy i like didn't want to like i would try and go back to the other one. i was like mm, no thank you for like a week or two but you, you just get back up on the horse and that's what magic going badly is like yeah. like i'm not saying nothing terrible will ever happen right but i do think that for the most part if you are a physically and mentally and emotionally sound person like if you are of sound mind and body And you're, like, generally okay. Like, you're not teetering on the brink of a psychotic episode. And you're not, like, teetering on the brink of some kind of physical, like, really, really sick. For the most part, when it goes badly, I don't know, maybe you get sick for a couple days. Maybe you have a panic attack. Maybe you have nightmares. But, like, you get over it. You know what I mean? As an advanced magician. So that's what I advise people is to just be willing to experiment, like fuck around and find out. And sometimes yeah. you find out the hard way. Like I've been doing this for a long time and I definitely like, I don't know, man, it was rough. Like yeah. I I really mean it. I threw up solid for like, f- I made my housemate sit with me. I was like, don't leave me, don't leave me. But like, I would have been okay if I was gonna I had a panic attack, But you know what I mean? Yeah. I slept it off, I cleaned it up yeah yeah and then i was gun shy for a little while but then i got my mojo back you know Good. and it, you, you just have to be willing to like if you want the big ecstatic magic highs there are also those terrible ecstatic magic lows where you're having a panic attack at four o'clock in the morning yeah and that sucks but i wouldn't trade it for anything yeah. you know and so i encourage people to start experimenting right away but i'm gonna throw out a but there uh if you're gonna experiment hard like that, like I do and there's a lot of, in the book, like you shouldn't do this, but if you're going like, is it your first (laughs) time in the underworld? You should stay on the path. Like don't, I don't know if you've ever read a fairy tale, but like stay on the path. But if you don't, here's (laughs) what to do, you know? And I do think though, like, it's important to have at least one co magician. Like you do need to have somebody that you can call at four o'clock in the morning and be like, uh. I may be fucked up in the underworld and I need you to talk to me for a couple hours. Like if there is genuinely no one in your life who can take that phone call, uh, like, first of all, I think you need to try harder to find. I I think a co-magician is worth more than a teacher, truthfully. Like if you have to pick, I would rather have a co-magician because Because it it forces you to get out of your own head. Like if you never have to explain your magic to anybody, first of all, that person will, it goes both ways. That person will call you on your bullshit. You know what I mean? When you say something like, mm, I don't know, that sounds like you're just a delusional liar, actually. Right? But you also need somebody when you're like, oh, it's all delusions and lies. And they're Like, I don't know, man. Do you remember when we blah, blah, blah? Yeah. It's really easy to convince yourself magic didn't happen. It's much harder to convince yourself magic didn't happen when there are witnesses, <laughs> Yeah. And you can like remind like, oh yeah. Remember that time we were in the cemetery on May Day and it suddenly started snowing? <laughs> like when somebody else points that out to you, you're like, oh yeah, that that did happen. Uh, uh, that that's true. We did that. You know what I mean? And so I really strongly and I think I don't know, man. I found Co-Magicians when I was eight in Amish country without an internet. So like how like when people say they can't find a co edition, i think they're just not trying hard enough but i do think if you're gonna do these like fuck around and find out kind of magic it's like you like use the buddy system like there should be two of you you don't have to do the experiment together but i really do think minimally you need somebody who will take a phone call at four o'clock in the morning when you're shaking from having fucked up in the other one yeah (laughs) like that's important yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i think that's really good advice too um because there's 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 good things about solitary practice, of course, but um, I I think having a, other people who know what 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 you're doing and can and are on the same level um, is extreme
2: or not. I mean, honestly, like they don't even have to be on the same level. They have the, all they have to do is like not immediately dismiss you as crazy. Like <laughs> I actually think there's a lot of value in working with people who do very different magic than you do, Yeah, you know what I mean? So even if you're magic, you're doing it solitary, I just think it's important to like, yeah. and I guess the, like, the internet is okay for that, but there is no, I just think there is no substitute for doing magic with people whose hands you are holding and breath you are sharing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, totally different it's about amazing.
0: Being, about being in person in yeah. the same physical End yeah. time, space, with so I would of- So
2: I really recommend it. But I'm not saying you shouldn't also do Solitaire. There's no kind of magic I don't recommend. <laughs> yeah. Like, every kind, you should do it. Go for it, yeah. At least try it.
0: Well, I think there's maybe too many kinds to try all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, there's eventually, so-
2: I got, eventually. I got more lifetimes. Like. <laughs> so
1: I know we're rounding up to the end of our hour together or so, but I did want to ask how you connect with Solomon if you wanted to build a relationship with him. Like so
2: how- I like icon practice and one of the reasons, so I talk about icon practice a lot in Orphic Hymns Grimoire as well. Like one of the reasons I like icon practice is, you know, I didn't grow up Greek Orthodox, like in as much as I grew up religious, I grew up Jewish, but my dad's family is Greek. And so like, I like went to that church for like weddings and baptisms and stuff. And like, there's such a well-developed icon practice that I felt like, well, I don't need to reinvent the wheel, especially for like Greek-ish magic. You like Solomonic magic, like Orphic magic, like they're all Greek adjacent at least, right? And so I think that's a really easy way to start is with an icon, Solomon, I don't know if Catholics consider Solomon a saint, but all the Eastern Orthodox churches definitely do. So it's quite easy, right? Like I was showing off my Solomon I come before. I think I got it from like OrthodoxGifts.com or something. I mean, like they're quite easy to find, um, and you should just pick out one that speaks to you. And I think that's a good way you know, an icon, at least the way I use them, is a flat idol. It's just a two-dimensional idol, right? And so, like, you awaken it exactly the same way you would any other idol as, like, a portal for speaking to that being and as, like, mm-hmm. them to have a temporary home when they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, In Your Dreams, I think, is great. There's Invocations of Solomon, but Solomon is really, I find, just easy to talk to. Like, he, he's a talk, like, Colette right? Like, that's his his whole shtick as he wants to stand up on a soapbox and say some stuff so I think he's eager for the opportunity for you to stand in front of his soapbox and listen to him talk about magic cool. right um and you know there's detailed instructions in the book but my short answer is mm-hmm. ask nicely and he'll probably come at least in your dreams which I do think is for most people the easiest place to like make initial contact with almost any spirit but particularly a spirit like Solomon who himself is like well understood to be a powerful dreamer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this book is is really great for anybody interested in getting into the pentacles and to working with Solomon. Um, and uh, you did a really wonderful job. So thank, thank you, you so much thank you for being on the show and talking about all sorts of stuff with us.
2: Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. If
1: folks want to find out more about you, where do you uh, want to send them? Witchlessons.com
2: or truthfully, my name is highly Googleable because Mastros is an unusual name. So if you put quotes around my name, I'm going to be what comes up. Okay. So awesome. Facebook is great. No lie. I have an Instagram, but I'm not very good at it. Instagram. So if you're actually trying to get a hold of me, Facebook or email is better, more likely to actually get me than Instagram is. Good to know. Perfect. Yeah.
1: Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been a
2: really awesome chat. It was really You know nice what? Fun. Actually, can I talk? I have a lot of upcoming yeah. appearances. Oh Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so here in Pittsburgh, I'm doing, I feel bad I don't remember the exact name. Let's call it an evening of tarot and discussion. Ooh. at owl hollow on yeah. saturday the 27th isaac's family's place there wow. you go friends yeah um february 22 through 26 let's say Day weekend i'm gonna be at a uh, convocation in ann arbor michigan i am teaching introduction to jewish kabbalah uh, Hode and Yesod, something, 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 I haven't decided yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those are two classes. So Introduction to Jewish Kabbalah, some kind of intermediate Kabbalah class on Hode and Yesod, And then I'm teaching the first Lunar Pentacle there. Um, in late March, I will be in suburban Baltimore at the Sacred Space Convention, where I am teaching Ereshkigal and the PGM. Mm. I think also the first lunar pentacle and i feel like maybe a third thing Mm -hmm. um that i don't remember what that third thing would be um early in march i'm teaching at botanica obscura i'm going to talk about sacred trees of uh northeast united states i'm excited about that one but i'm still very much researching it it's hard to think about trees in january it turns out yeah like, I'm like, they're not really like the, the, the plant Jag magic mark. is less on my radar at the moment.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but I think I'm going to talk about black walnut and white pine yeah. and also other trees that I have not picked out yet. Cool.
1: Um, Author?
2: May, I'm going to be at Tradera in Ohio, which is Wellspring, the ADF National convention. I think I'm going to talk either about trees or ancestors. June, I'm going to be in Birmingham, England. I'm doing the magical women's conference. And then later in June, I have a book reading in London and maybe my brother lives in England. So that's why I always have events in England. Like I go to visit my brother and I just also book work while I'm here. And then the second week in Italy, I'm doing lunar witchcraft convention in Bologna, Italy.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And then fun. I'm going to
2: come home and, you know, during pandemic, I really missed like conventions and festivals. So this year I like said yes to everything. But yeah. now that I'm actually like making travel plans, I'm maybe regretting having done that to myself. So I think after Italy, I'm going to come home and never go anywhere ever again, I think is my plan. <laughs> there you
0: go. <laughs> yeah. well, so hopefully yeah.
2: I'll get to see people in person. We'll hold yeah. hands and share a breath.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a full schedule. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's also, I mean, there's little stuff in there that I forgot. I really did say yes to everything in a way that seemed like a great idea until I had to do it.
1: We all ebb and flow with the like, okay, let's all go really hard and then
2: let's- I mean, I love, I really, like I said, there is no substitute for like doing magic with other people. And I love doing like small intimate magic with my coven. But I'm not going to lie, I love that fucking magic where there's 100 people around a bonfire. Like that, I get so high on that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. So I'm eager to do magic around a bonfire with basically everyone listening to this. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. I know I got really technical and nerdy. So sorry.
0: that's, that's what that's why we we're like. Here. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. That's, what, right. that's the point.
2: <laughs> yes. Awesome. And there's a companion course that goes with the book as well. Yeah, so that's are interested. Important.
0: So yep. they can find that at your website.
2: At witchlessons.com. Yeah. Cool.
0: Okay. Well, thank you again. Cheers. Thank you
2: so much for having me. Bye.